Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. According to the late actress Sophie Tucker, the secret to longevity is to keep breathing. Our precious lungs tonight on call with the Prairie Dock. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Dock. We start breathing the moment we are born and our lungs keep working until the end. Their function is vital to our life and well-being. First, a look at this week's Prairie Dot quiz question. It is multiple choice tonight. Smoking is a causative factor in all of the following problems except A, lung cancer, B, COPD or emphysema, C, asthma, or D, heart attack and stroke. Viewers who call in the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a copy of the book, The Picture of Health. Each of Dr. Holmes' essays, originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc, comes with a wonderful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson. We will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. Remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about breathing and our lungs as they are called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. Joining us tonight in the studio is Dr. Michael Pietola of the Yankton Medical Clinic. Welcome Dr. Pietola back to the show. Thanks. Yeah, so remind us about your background and what you do day to day as, as a pulmonary physician. Sure, so um, I work at the Yankton Medical Clinic in Avera Sacred Heart Hospital in Yankton, originally from Lake Norton, South Dakota, Hamlin High School in South Dakota State. I've gotta get that in there yeah. each and every time. Um, go Jacks. Uh, <laughs> and then I went to uh, the University of South Dakota School of Medicine and on to the Mayo Clinic and did an uh, internal medicine residency, pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine fellowship. Um, been in Yankton now 15 years. Um, I do pulmonary medicine outpatient, um, mm -hmm. which is taking care of patients with lung conditions. Um, and then also a medical director of the intensive care unit at Sacred Heart Hospital where we care for the sickest patients in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an associate professor with the School of Medicine, so I teach med students as well. Yeah, um, great. Let's, before we start taking the questions, and I'm sure there'll be no shortage, let's do like a five minute update on COVID. We haven't talked about COVID on the show. I'm worried about it. I'm thinking about it when I go to bed every night right now um, because our numbers have been concerning. So yeah. what are we seeing in South Dakota and, and what are your thoughts about what we need to do? So I think a table is going to go up that shows uh, how our numbers are rapidly increasing uh, most recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this graph actually comes from a retired internist out in uh, Rapid City mm -hmm. um, who's done a great job of compiling some numbers. And essentially, if you look at this graph, uh, in the springtime as the cases were starting to rise, um, we decided to flatten the curve mm -hmm. by closing schools, 
um, closing businesses, um, practicing physical distancing. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, we didn't recommend masks because number one, there weren't enough available, and number two, there wasn't a lot of data to say that masks helped. But you can see the curve flatten, mm -hmm. um, and coming into the summer actually dipped down a little bit. And then we decided, um, for reasons not um, responsible for public health, to open right. everything up again. And I get that, you know, it's mm -hmm. a tough position to be in when our economy is in a downturn and people aren't able to work, um, they're getting laid off. Um, but in a pandemic, um, if you don't practice the mitigation strategies, this is what happens. And so now mm -hmm. we're seeing record numbers of cases on a daily basis, mm -hmm. which then are followed a few weeks later by record numbers of hospitalizations, mm -hmm. which then you can safely assume, since we don't have an effective treatment, right. that deaths will rise. And so what do we know now? works to help prevent that. Um, well, one is physical distancing, yeah. um, you know, keeping space between you and others in a room. Mm -hmm. And then if you can't do that, to wear a mask. Um, yeah. The data is, is there now mm -hmm. to show that communities or countries where patient, where people, sorry, mask up, um, they reduce transmission of the virus, which therefore reduces the number of people infected, which subsequently reduces those who are hospitalized and subsequently those who might die from it. Right. And so I think now more than ever, mm -hmm. um, it's important to reiterate the importance of um, social or physical distancing, yeah. using other ways to communicate instead mm -hmm. of sitting close in a large groups indoors mm -hmm. and the wearing of masks. Yeah. And as I think about this just personally, and I talk to my patients in clinic about that, we're thinking about the holidays coming up. You know, summer is officially over. There's snow on the ground here in Brookings. And so outdoor, um, you know, seeing your friends outdoors is probably not gonna be easy to do for a while. I, I feel it's gonna be a tough winter for all of us, um, but we're, we're really gonna have to keep our circles small and, and you know probably not be doing the holiday parties like we've always done. No, I yeah. think we, we see what super spreader events are, mm -hmm. and, and we know right now the rise in cases is primarily that age group 20 to 40 who are not practicing the physical distancing and not wearing masks. And you know you might say, well, they don't get that sick. Um, well, some do. Um, yes. But they spread it to other individuals and our children, it's going to get into the schools if we're not cautious and then right. they'll spread it to their grandparents and, and then that's when the mortality rates and the number of deaths unnecessarily rise. Mm -hmm. um, there's sometimes this misconception about something called herd immunity and yeah. I think that's something our leaders are trying to, to get to the point of where enough people get it that then it doesn't pass on from from others, but it, we'd have to get to at least 60% of people with the virus. We're nowhere near that. Right. We're maybe around 10. And that's not 12%. acceptable, right? I mean, the number of right. deaths that that would lead to. The I don't collateral think damage yeah. would be unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of herd immunity, especially without a, an, a safe and effective vaccine, right. which we're not guaranteed to have at all is a false one. Mm -hmm. So again, I can't reiterate enough. If you're going to do Thanksgiving, do your family, your mm -hmm. little, your core group, and then set up a Zoom or a yeah. FaceTime with the parents or with the grandparents or cousins mm -hmm. or whatever else. And you know, make it as memorable as you can, mm -hmm. uh, recognizing that getting together in large groups is only going to allow the virus to spread. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, we'll we may come back to COVID. We may get questions on it, but why don't we start taking some questions from our callers? Um, 
We have one question. What do the experts think is the most effective way to decrease smoking among adults? We'll talk more about that in our role in later, but you were just mentioning um, some of the, some behavioral strategies mm. and, and um, some yeah. uh, applications that might be helpful. So the number one thing is to educate our children um, to never start smoking, right? right? Or so, vaping for that matter. Yeah, right? or vaping, mm -hmm. right? So, so that's the number one thing. But once you've started smoking, the best way to quit is a multifaceted approach. Uh, number one, you have to make a commitment to it. It can't be because your spouse wants you to quit or your doctor. You have mm -hmm. to want to quit for the benefit of yourself. Once you want to quit, then you make a plan. And the mm -hmm. quit line's a nice way to do that. Yeah. There's app, apps out there, websites. One of the newer ones is iCanQuit.com, mm -hmm. and they help you develop a plan. And then you recognize what triggers there are that lead you to smoking. You help your nicotine withdrawal by getting some nicotine replacement. Mm -hmm patches plus lozenges or gums um, and then consider medicines like Chantix mm -hmm. um, or Zyban um, mm -hmm. which can be very beneficial in the right patient population mm -hmm. to help them reduce their smoking. Yeah. Um, but the key is uh, you have to commit to it yourself. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't be forced into it. Yeah, and I, I tell my patients, I think accountability is good. So part of that planning has to include, you know, talking to your family about it. If, you, if you're quitting in secret, it's probably, it's unlikely to be successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, my grandmother got pneumonia and died, says one of our um, viewers. Why is a common infection still so deadly? That's a great question. Right, it yeah. is. And so pneumonia just means an infection of the lungs. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think people get confused that, well, I got the pneumonia vaccine, but that's just for streptococcus pneumoniae right. Um, pneumonia. So that's mm -hmm. one bacteria that mm -hmm. causes pneumonia. Now it's a bunch of, of, of different types of that bacteria, mm -hmm. but that's only one. There's hundreds of other causes of pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And it's a very fatal disease. Um, you know, if you're older or if you have other health problems, I know there, there was this data out there about COVID that, well, 94% of people had comorbidities or had other medical illnesses. Oh, well, really, almost everyone most American does. American adults. Correct. At no one just age, right? dies yeah. one day perfectly healthy. Right. We all die because of our complications of our chronic medical problems, mm -hmm. whether it's diabetes or obesity or high blood pressure or whatever else. So that's a misconception. But pneumonia is deadly because we depend upon our lungs to right. get oxygen, which are body depends upon mm -hmm. and the pneumonia, the pneumonia affects our lungs in a way that impacts our ability to get oxygen to the rest mm -hmm. of our organs. Yeah. And so it's a deadly disease and it always will be. Right, right. And for, so bacterial pneumonia, we can treat with antibiotics, though mm -hmm. sometimes in severe disease, that's not enough. But there's also viral pneumonias, influenza, mm -hmm. COVID would be a great example of viral causes of pneumonia, which can also be very deadly. Yeah, yeah and mm -hmm. when we're elderly and that that a number doesn't matter. That mm -hmm. varies from, you know, depends upon your genetics and your other health problems, but we die from something and pneumonia is often that cause. And so, sure. so it's not like it's rare uh, right. and it never will be. Yeah. It'll always be one of the more common causes of death. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you think we're likely to see more lung disease after the fires on the West Coast? Let's talk about those environmental things that might cause lung disease. Sure. Yeah. So those fires contribute to an increase in particulate matter, just a, a fancy word for dust particles mm -hmm. in the air. And they do reduce the air quality, and mm -hmm. that's proven based upon measurements of air quality. But it doesn't necessarily correlate with an increased number of respiratory illnesses mm -hmm. um, when you really look at the epidemiologic data. Mm -hmm. um, now, anecdotally, I feel like 
I saw more of my asthma and COPD sure. patients struggling this fall, mm -hmm. um, you know, on those hazy days, but I can't say scientifically right. um, that it's the cause, mm -hmm. but air quality matters. Yeah. Um, and so forest fires don't help with air quality. Yeah, yeah, good. How likely is it for a 12-year-old to grow out of asthma? He's doing well on his pulmonary function test lately and is on Advair and Singular and takes albuterol as needed. Yeah, so yeah. It, the term grow out of asthma is a little bit of a misnomer. Mm -hmm. um, once you're diagnosed accurately with asthma, sometimes asthma is you're labeled with asthma when you don't sure. really have it. But, but if you're accurately diagnosed with asthma, you'll have it the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of controlling the symptoms. And you might not need anything for control of your symptoms, yeah. especially if you know your triggers were something that you no longer experience exposure mm -hmm. to. Um, other times, you might go years without problems, and then all of a sudden, you've got this cough and this shortness of breath, and you're waking up at night mm -hmm. feeling like, I just can't get enough air, and you're it's your asthma mm -hmm. and so it's time then to step into therapy again but it would be important for um, the, the for mom and, and the mm -hmm. 12 year old to visit with their doctor and say boy he's really doing good yeah. can we maybe take away the singular yeah. or step down from Advair to just an inhaled steroid mm -hmm. um, that's what we're doing in asthma all the time mm -hmm. You're, what I tell my patients is you'll have it the rest of your life we want to manage it don't accept symptoms we can control it yeah but we don't want you on too much medicine either mm -hmm. and so you're always reassessing um, mm -hmm. asthma patients yeah good um, a 47 year old with bad lungs has trouble breathing <clears throat> and it hurts to be around smoke is avoiding smoke as best as possible, but wondering if there's any other remedy. And that might be hard to answer without a little more information. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that sounds like the type of person who, if he hasn't had a pulmonary function test or seen a pulmonologist, yeah. he or she um, would benefit. 47 is young to have serious lung disease. Right. Um, it's not that I haven't seen COPD, but 47 could be something else. Yeah that needs to be looked at so my advice would be um, get into a pulmonologist have a pulmonary function mm -hmm. test which we're going to have a, mm -hmm. a little um, a vignette about that yeah. shortly that would be the key there yeah we wouldn't expect that in a 47 year old non-smoker who doesn't have history of asthma per right. se so well let's go to that an important part of gauging lung health are the pulmonary function tests that show how well your lungs are working Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt takes you to the Brookings Health System to find out more about them. A pulmonary function test, or PFT, helps diagnose certain types of lung disease, such as asthma, bronchitis, and emphysema. It's done through several different maneuvers, the main one being a forced vital capacity, and then uh, we do some other tests to like a DLCO or diffusion of lung and carbon monoxide, and then we do plasmography. Um, so there several different maneuvers, um, and again, it's patient effort, and it is, it's not necessarily patient dependent, but it's, they need to give maximum effort uh, to get good uh, qualitative results. Maximum effort could mean some intense coaching. I do that because I'm trying to kick in that um, response, that fight or flight type of response to get that quick, fast reaction and to, for them just to give me everything they got. It's very important because when you give maximum effort during these tests, we show the consistency and we can actually uh, see how your lungs really work. If there is variability, it doesn't really show or you don't, it doesn't demonstrate how your lungs really are. So effort is everything for this test. 
The test is performed to see where a patient's lung health is right now or after recovering from an illness. Usually you want to do this in what we call a chronic stable state. So you don't want to do it when you're in acute phase like you are actively sick. That would really just show how your lungs are acting when they're sick. And we want to find out what your lungs are when they're healthy in your, your healthy state. And to keep your lungs healthy, you should get plenty of exercise and keep your lungs free of dust and other particles. But there is one thing that is most important. No smoking. Don't smoke. I preach don't smoke. In fact, if somebody says they smoke, and my first joke to them always is, uh, so you want to quit, right? Is that what you told me? And then I go over to things like um, South Dakota Quit Line, you know, and try to find resources that are out there that I know of and what their things are. We saw Derek mention the quit line, which we'll find out more about later in the program. Dr. Pietela, national studies have shown that even just brief advice to patients about quitting can improve your chances of cessation. Would you have you found that to be the case mm -hmm. in your experience? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, for instance, I'll have a patient uh, who the nurse will come out and report why they're there to see me and. I'll say, did you ask about smoking? And the nurse will say, yeah. And he said, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> and so I'll still make a point yeah. to mention to the patient the importance of smoking cessation. Well, I'm not ready to quit. And I'll say, that's fine. And I'm not asking you to quit, but I'm asking you to think about yeah. quitting. So contemplation is the mm -hmm. first step in making an attempt. So yeah. it's worth it, you know, even if they're seeing you for an, uh, an, a non-related right. problem Plant the seed, ask right? yeah. about mm -hmm. whether they're smoking or not. Yeah, and that's why I tell students in my clinic, you never, you know, you, you sometimes you get lucky and you catch people on the right day and they wouldn't have told you otherwise. So mm -hmm. um, we'll get back to some questions. We have a man that's wondering if dental devices can help sleep apnea. Yeah, so sleep apnea, very common yeah. medical problem. Um, much more common than people realize uh, and can be associated with not only poor sleep and daytime fatigue or sleepiness but worsening of certain other medical problems mm -hmm. and um, a well-designed oral appliance um, especially mandibular advancement devices um, which can be designed by dentists who have experience with mandibular advancement devices can be very effective in moderate and mild sleep apnea and severe disease they're not proven to be as effective. And now CPAP is still the most proven treatment uh, wearing right. the mask at night, which it's very tolerable for most patients and again, highly effective. And mm -hmm. so even those patients who have failed CPAP in the past, mm -hmm. there've been great advancements. Yeah. And I, I encourage them to reconsider trying it. Yeah, a lot more different mask choices and, and things like that. I think people are surprised mm -hmm. when they tried and failed 20 years ago. Right, it's way better now. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, we have a 69-year-old man who has COPD, and he's curious to know if there is any uh, upcoming research that might give relief to COPD patients. Are there new therapies for COPD? So uh, there, there are evolving therapies for COPD, and it, again, depends upon the severity of his mm -hmm. lung disease. So it would be helpful for me to know and what he's on for maintenance inhaled therapies. We know we now have long-acting bronchodilators, mm -hmm. two different classes of those. Mm -hmm. Potentially steroids, they're, they're, they have a limited role in managing COPD. Um, and then of course vaccinations are important. It's critical for mm -hmm. COPD patients to get their pneumonia vaccines and their flu vaccines. Then there are some interventions like 
bron endobronchial valves that can be placed or, or surgical procedures. Sometimes patients ask me about stem cells. Okay. Um, and there's research on true stem cells, but the stuff you see out there now from like these National Lung Institute, or that's not proven to be effective, hence the reason insurance doesn't cover right. it and um, you have to travel and pay mm -hmm. cash. So, so stem cells at this point are not of any benefit. Mm -hmm. um, but there are lots of good inhaled medications mm -hmm. or nebulized medications, so if he's mm -hmm. not seeing a pulmonologist, mm -hmm. um, he, he needs to do that. Yeah, good. Um, Amanda's wondering how radon affects the lungs and body as a whole. Um, something about uh, radon test of seven in his in his home. Huh. Yeah, so radon is an inert gas mm -hmm. um, that settles into the lower levels of our homes and, and into the soil. And um, when it comes to diseases that we know radon is are associated with, lung cancer is right. the one. Um, and it's not common, in fact, it's quite rare, mm -hmm. but it's, it's the second most common cause after exposure to cigarette smoke, whether mm -hmm. it's primary or secondary. So cigarette smoke by far the biggest mm -hmm. risk factor for lung cancer. I mean, so far it's, it's not comparable to anything else, but radon would be second. So mm -hmm. if you have a home with a basement, mm -hmm. especially if you live in an area where radon levels are known to be high, which Southeast South Dakota, mm -hmm. Northeast Nebraska, where my practice in Yankton is, um, is the case you should have it tested mm -hmm. and if it's you know a certain level which I can't tell you what that is it should be mitigated a uh, mitigation system to get that ventilated out of your basement mm -hmm. is the only way to know to get someone to come there and get it tested there's yeah. not a way to look that up on the internet based on your location there isn't an, a way to know definitively yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know just certain areas you can google yeah. what are high radon areas but right. the way to do it is to get it tested yeah. and then have them because there's some variability there. even within a, yep. a, a single there is. Community, right? Okay. A Vermilion woman is wondering about your thoughts on a Zephyr valve implant for people mm -hmm. with severe COPD. Yeah. Is that something that you were just talking yeah. about? So that's yeah. what I was just mentioning. So COPD affects the top part of our lungs mm -hmm. um, more than the bottom. And what happens when it affects the top part of our lungs is our lungs get too large. They okay. hyperinflate. Mm -hmm. And that too large a lung can't take in the air like mm -hmm. the right size lung can. It sounds funny, but because it's too big, it, it, the diaphragm can't move like it's supposed to. So you can take these valves, and they're one-way valves, so they drain the air out of that ineffective lung, shrinking the, the lung up to allow more room for the diaphragm mm -hmm. to get more air in, so each breath is a bigger breath. Mm -hmm. So if that person is on maximal therapy for COPD, mm -hmm. has predominantly upper lobe disease, which most do, sure. um, that'd be worth a referral to someone who does uh, endobronchial valves. Interesting. Um, a Sioux Falls woman is wondering what your opinions are on the Trilogy ventilator for at-home treatment of COPD, another kind of new yeah. device. So a Trilogy is going to target a certain minute ventilation. That's just termed to say to make sure you're breathing enough. And as we know in COPD, um, they again, they, because of that hyperinflation and their diaphragm not moving as much, they depend upon accessory muscles. Mm -hmm. And when we sleep, our accessory muscles paralyze and we depend only on our diaphragm. And so sleep aggravates hypoventilation in patients with severe COPD. So getting them on a Trilogy device, which is really a non-invasive positive pressure ventilator. It's not CPAP mm -hmm. because it's actually a, giving certain pressures targeting a certain minute ventilation and respiratory rate okay. can bring down their carbon dioxide levels mm -hmm. and improve their quality of sleep and therefore their 
overall quality of life. So it's actually a, a really good treatment for patients with really severe COPD who have hypercapnia, high carbon dioxide. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, we'll get to some COVID-related questions. What's yeah. better, a cloth or a paper mask? Right, Do so we know? That reminds me, I wanted to say thank you to all the healthcare providers who are out there taking yeah. care of these COVID patients. And I don't just mean doctors and no. nurses, I mean our dietary staff, yeah. our uh, uh, housekeepers, our patient care technicians. It's gonna get more stressful, we'll stay together. Um, don't get frustrated if you can help it, but I wanted to say that. So cloth mask or a mm -hmm. surgical mask. Mm -hmm. So masks of those types, the types that you see us wearing, mm -hmm. not in the operating room, protect others from your secretions. Mm -hmm. So we wear surgical masks. I'm not talking the respirators, N95s, but mm -hmm. the, the surgical masks in mm -hmm. procedures like you've got there. Yeah. Yep. That type of surgical mask in procedures because we don't want our secretions right. getting on the patients. They don't protect us necessarily from other particles, right? Wearing a mask is about protecting those around you. Cloth masks do the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you think about droplets, water particles, they block those water particles, saliva, from getting on someone else or on other surfaces. Mm -hmm. surfaces. So it's not gonna protect you from aerosolized viruses, mm -hmm. but it'll protect you from exposing others. And we now have data, mm -hmm. you know, six months into this pandemic, that shows they are effective at reducing transmission. Mm -hmm. So. One's not necessarily more effective than the other. Right, right. Just Mask is good. Just important to wear one. Yeah. Um, a woman asked if uh, zinc and vitamin D work well for the virus, and if so, yeah. what dose of vitamin D? What's your comment on this? So you treat a lot of vitamin D deficiency, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, maybe not treat it, but you're aware of it. Right, right. And, I, you know, I, I think vitamin D as a whole probably got credit for a lot more than it did over the last 10 to 20 years and it hasn't panned out that it's that in, in various health conditions um, specific Wervig it's it's worked well so I'm, I'm gonna be a latecomer to buy that zinc or vitamin D is highly effective and so I'm with you mm -hmm. um, I think most of us are vitamin D deficient especially in the winter months yes. um, mm -hmm. in the upper Midwest but I don't think it has a lot of clinical impact right I really don't um, yeah. I mean there's been lots of different things saying oh vitamin D is the key to your mm -hmm. bowel problems or your fatigue it can help with bone health for sure right fracture healing and mm -hmm. things it's been shown to be beneficial yeah. is it going to boost your immune system there's no evidence right. no scientific evidence to say it's going to boost it is it going to harm you it's it's fat soluble so it stays in your body mm -hmm. so it's not going to just go out in your urine like vitamin c will right. or zinc will um, and so it's probably not helpful, yeah. especially as it pertains to COVID. Same with zinc. You know, yeah. zinc's been promoted for all viral illnesses, mm -hmm. and some people swear by it. But again, if you look at the science, right. it's not there. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend counting on vitamin D or zinc to be the key yeah. with COVID. Yeah. Um, a man says he has read COVID-19 can cause long-term lung damage. Have you had any patients that that's resulted in? And we're definitely getting a lot of anecdote, at least, about these sort of long-termers, be it with lung symptoms or just general uh, fatigue yeah. and exercise intolerance. So what do we know about that? Yeah, so there definitely are cases of patients who seem to have long-term sequelae, long-term mm -hmm. consequences of COVID infection, some of them not having had severe disease. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, what does that mean? I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, 
the worst cases of COVID, the ones that are dying are getting what's called ARDS, mm -hmm. acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is a brisk inflammatory response in the lungs. Some people have called it cytokine storm. Mm -hmm. Really cytokine release syndrome is a better way to, to, to define it. And that, that does oftentimes um, cause permanent mm -hmm. damage to the lungs. And so you might have a patient who's uh, otherwise perfectly healthy, has normal lungs, who gets bad ARDS, is in the hospital, maybe on the ventilator for two, three, four weeks. Mm -hmm. That damages your lungs too. A right. ventilator is not a treatment. It's a way to right. bridge to an outcome. Right. You know, going on a ventilator is not a treatment. It's just a way to wait and see Hang what's on. gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You never wanna put someone on a ventilator unless you have to. Mm -hmm. And they can get permanent injury to their lungs and end up stuck on oxygen mm -hmm. the rest of their lives. I have a gentleman who's in his late 50s perfectly healthy, working full time, and now he's chronically on oxygen and will be yeah. for however long he lives. So it, it's not just the death toll right. that matters in COVID-19. Yeah. There, are, there are potential other complications yeah. that you live with the rest. And a lot of people, life. if they spend time in the ICU, especially with something like ARDS, but for any reason, take a long time to return to their prior level of functioning just because of muscle loss and, and those kind of things too, right? Yeah, no, yeah. it's... You want to avoid ever having yeah. critical illness because mm -hmm. the consequences are real and they're almost always present. Yeah, but yeah, the, the sort of longer term outcomes of COVID, I think we're gonna learn more about, but it's probably real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a woman from Gregory is wondering if rheumatoid pulmonary fibrosis is hereditary. So rheumatoid arthritis, as you're familiar, is an inflammatory disease that affects joints primarily, but it can affect almost any organ in the body, including the lungs. Mm -hmm. And it can affect the lungs in a multitude of different ways. Um, so rheumatoid arthritis alone, I'm not, I mean, it's clearly hereditary, right? There's clearly an There's association genetic factors, right? for, mm -hmm. for genetics in rheumatoid. Um, I'm not aware of a direct link between rheumatoid associated lung disease and sure. genetics. It's really about controlling the rheumatoid. Mm -hmm. That's how you treat rheumatoid associated lung diseases. Mm -hmm. You control the rheumatoid with the disease modifying agent of mm -hmm. choice. Right. So rheumatoid is associated with hereditary mm -hmm. factors. I'm not certain on the lung disease part. Sure. Can asthma symptoms decrease or disappear to the point of no longer needing treatment? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as again, I tell my patients, you have asthma and you always will, but there may not, you may not need to treat it. Um, mm -hmm. But recognize if you're coughing or short of breath, that's your asthma. <laughs> Too many right. times patients accept because I have asthma, it's okay, I cough and I'm short of breath. Well, we can treat that. You right. don't have to suffer with that. Right. Good. The South Dakota quit line has one of the highest success rates in the nation. More than 38% who have used the service have kicked their habit. On-call reporter Tori Burnt spoke with the quit line coordinator. The South Dakota quit line is a free resource available for any South Dakotan um, to utilize. And that's for anyone over the age of 13 who has either quit using tobacco in the past 30 days or is wanting to quit tobacco right now. So it's available for um, smokeless tobacco, so like the chew tobacco for people who smoke cigarettes, and also is available for e-cigarette users. So that's a new addition that we deem. So if someone only uses e-cigarettes, they would also be eligible to use the quit line. And it's a service that is free, so we always like to promote that. Um, we've, we've realized that throughout time, 
we've become a, maybe a little bit numb to communicating that messaging to the public. And we've heard from people, oh, well, I thought I had to pay to do that. And it is something that is free. So we want to make sure we're always communicating the service itself is free. And if someone enrolls in it, the option for the nicotine replacement therapies as well as medication is also free. So that's a huge bonus. Um, the services that we offer through the South Dakota Quit Line, we have a variety of options. So a person can call to enroll in the South Dakota Quit Line. And the number for that is 1-866-SD-QUITS. And they can call and speak with a coach who can get them enrolled in the program. They can also just call the quit line if they have a question to ask about the program itself. And so the phone service option uh, is the coaching service, and they can get enrolled in that. And they would then be eligible to receive up to 12 coaching sessions. And if a person is enrolled in the phone coaching sessions, then they are also eligible to receive up to 12 weeks of a nicotine replacement therapy and what we offer for nicotine replacement therapies are patch gum or lozenges and then they would also have the option if they don't want to do the nrt option and they can talk it through that it sounds like with their coach that the better option might be the medication we also have prescription zyban available for the quit line and again that would be up to 12 weeks of um, offering of that medication as long as they're participating in the phone coaching service and then we also have a feature called the Kickstart Kit, and that is a perfect option for someone who's maybe like, I don't really know if I want to call and talk to someone quite yet, or for someone who just really wants to do this on their own. And the Kickstart Kit option, people can go onto our website and enroll right there. And that's where they would just enter in their information, select that they're interested in receiving the Kickstart Kit option. And what that means is they would be eligible to receive up to four weeks of nicotine replacement therapy of their choice. I believe when they log in, it's like you can select up to four or you can select two weeks. If they select the two-week option, um, they get that sent directly to them with a self-help quick guide. And if they select the up to four weeks option, um, what they will have to do is just have like one quick check-in call with the quit line to see how that service option is working for them. So I could go on and on because we have other service options too. Great information from the quit line. We've got a lot more questions to answer, so let's get to it. What is sigh breathing, and is it anything to be concerned about? Um, so sighs are normal and necessary, mm -hmm. actually. Um, as we breathe, we often don't fill all of our lung, and so we get a little bit of what's called atelectasis or collapse. Mm -hmm. And so taking a sighing respiration really fills those lungs up and helps to capture that portion of the lung that's not getting well aerated. So if someone's sighing frequently, not just because they're frustrated with someone else, <laughs> um, it might be because they're not taking large enough breaths at baseline. If they're obese or if they have muscle weakness, um, it could be an indication sometimes of someone who's developing like a, an ALS, um, mm -hmm. who is having trouble ventilating, their lungs are restricted by neuromuscular weakness, mm -hmm. they might have to sigh more often. So if, if that's a concern, it's worth mentioning it to the doctor. But normal, it's normal to sigh. In fact, it's good for you right. to sigh. Yeah, everyone does it. You know. A man from Rutland is taking Trilogy, not Trilogy, and right. I will say that I'm a little angry that these, these new uh, things, both for COPD, had such similar names. Trilogy, an inhaler in the morning, and is wondering if that's 
that's right or if it should be taken at night? It makes no difference yeah. with Trelegy. So Trelegy mm -hmm. is an ultra long acting inhaler. It has an inhaled steroid, mm -hmm. a long acting muscarinic antagonist, and a long acting beta agonist. Mm -hmm. That's just to say an anti-inflammatory, two bronchodilators. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter when you take it. You can mm -hmm. take it in the morning, you can take it in the evening. It's consistent and effective for 24 hours. So it's ever most convenient for the patient. Yeah, whatever you can be the most consistent. Just make sure and rinse your mouth do. after. Right? Yeah, good. Um, a Yankton viewer is wondering if the carbon dioxide breathed in from wearing a mask is going to lead to an increase in lung problems. It will not. So um, a cloth mask or a surgical mask will not inhibit ventilation or, or cause low oxygen or high carbon dioxide. And you don't rebreathe your air when you're wearing a cloth mask or a, a, a surgical mask. Mm -hmm. So this myth that you might have heard out there that wearing masks is harmful or if you have the virus and you wear a mask, you'll you know, rebreathe the virus. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not how it works. Um, now, patients who have restrictive lung disease, who have COPD, those respirators, mm -hmm. those can cause problems. The tight N95 masks, mm -hmm. they can reduce ventilation. And that's why we test people before sure. we approve them at a place of business, for instance, mm -hmm. that requires a respirator, an N95 or above. Mm -hmm. You've got to have adequate lung function for those. But cloth masks, surgical masks, perfectly safe. safe. Good. A man from Sioux Falls is wondering if there's any correlation between good nutrition and lung health. Yeah, so it's critical. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the most worrisome signs in a patient with chronic lung disease is when they start to lose weight mm -hmm. um, because um, your metabolic rate's actually increased when you have chronic lung disease. Every minute you're burning more calories than someone who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so having a healthy, balanced diet is key in patients with chronic lung disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had. A couple patients that I can recall that came in and their complaint was abnormal weight loss. They had lost, you know, 20, 30 pounds, and it was a new diagnosis of lung disease as opposed to the yeah, other things that I've we kind seen of think it of. Mm -hmm. More times than I care to admit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. A former diver was diagnosed with tracheobronchopathia osteochondroplastica, or TO, mm -hmm. after a car accident, and is wondering if there are any advances to identifying the cause and treatment since 2015. <sighs> That's I'm, a specific question, right. doctor, I'm, yeah. I'm no expert in that area. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually found incidentally on an imaging study. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing he had the car accident, right, they did a CT of his chest, abdomen, and pelvis mm -hmm. to look for consequences of the trauma, and they saw the changes in the airway that are consistent with the bronchiomalacia. Mm -hmm. It's usually a genetic thing, and so it's been that way all of your life. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you're not aware you have it until right. you try to do something that might stress your lungs or you find it incidentally on, a, mm -hmm. on an imaging study. There are some, from bronchiomalacia, which means too narrow of an airway, mm -hmm. okay, it means your breathing tubes are too small. There are some stenting procedures and mm -hmm. things that are, have been offered for patients, but that's out of my area of expertise. So mm -hmm. that'd be someone who I'd refer on to yeah. a, a, a center like the Mayo Clinic. If this patient was symptomatic. Symptomatic is, if, all, is what's if, most if he important. If have symptoms, Correct. then there's no if reason it to was pursue that. found totally incidentally mm -hmm. because of the CT scan, then just ignore it. Yeah, good. Um, a 73-year-old hasn't smoked, but lived with parents who did for 17 years. Are there any chances that person will develop problems at this stage? It's not zero, 
right? Mm -hmm. It's not zero, but the likelihood that that exposure during childhood would lead to chronic lung disease at their current age is, is low. Mm -hmm. Now, they could have lung disease from something else. Sure. So if they're having symptoms of shortness of breath or cough, visit with their doctor about that. It could be occupational, mm -hmm. it could be a, a medicine they're taking. Mm -hmm. So it's worth at least mentioning it to their doc. But I wouldn't go to the lung specialist alone just because I was exposed to cigarette smoke from right. home. Right. That's a long lag time. It would it's be kind of a, an unlikely story. Good. A Lennox man asked if having bronchitis once can increase a person's chance of getting it a second time. Are there long-term complications that can arise from having bronchitis? Yeah, so recurrent bronchitis um, is a sign of chronic lung disease. It's part of the definition of COPD. Um, a single episode of bronchitis is unlikely mm -hmm. to, to increase your risk for more episodes of bronchitis, unless, of course, you have some under, other underlying structural lung sure. disease or you're a smoker. Mm -hmm. That's that's a sign of you know airway damage and, and future complications. But a single episode of bronchitis in the short term may result in some increased inflammation and risk, but long term a single episode shouldn't be harmful. Right, right. And bronchitis is one of those things that in primary care I think um, we're we're doing we're doing things differently now than we maybe did before we were good antibiotic stewards. We know that most cases of acute bronchitis are viral in Absolutely. nature. Absolutely. Um, and so it's, it's not uncommon and no. you can get it with healthy nope. lungs. When so. you, right, you get mm -hmm. the common cold, um, you can have bronchial symptoms mm -hmm. and that's bronchitis. Right. Doesn't mean you need an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. right. Good. A viewer on Facebook has an oxygen sensor at home. At what level of oxygen saturation drop should she seek a doctor's help? So Let's it sounds like, oxygenation. Right. Yeah. so if she's got an oximeter, um, it sounds like she should have some chronic lung disease. So it's really, that's the big difference. Right. For those of us who don't have any chronic lung disease, our oxygen saturation really shouldn't be below 94 mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be, okay? Doesn't mean if it is that you're in big trouble, but 94. Right. But if you have chronic lung disease, you can tolerate low oxygen. I mean, some of my patients right. feel fine with a SATA 80%. Yeah. And, you know, for a doc who doesn't do pulmonology, if their patient had a SAT of 80, they'd be pretty nervous, but mm -hmm. I see that not uncommonly. Right. And so what's normal is 89 or above for chronic lung disease, mm -hmm. 94 and above for no lung disease. Mm -hmm. But some chronic lung patients do just fine with SATs in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about what the number's showing her, it's about her symptoms. Mm -hmm. So if she feels short of breath, um, and that number is low, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. If she feels fine and she's just checking it for her own information, right. that number's probably not significant. Sure, sure. And a, a counterpoint to that is like, when do you prescribe oxygen for patients? Yeah. So when do patients with chronic lung disease need to have oxygen at home? So it varies again from patient to patient, right? The data would suggest that if you're oxygen saturation at rest on room air is less than 89% that if we put you on oxygen, you'll have fewer complications and live longer. Now that doesn't mean each individual, so it doesn't mean you have to be on oxygen, but studies would indicate that most patients would benefit. So room air, resting, 89, below 89%. Mm -hmm. So then you have that patient who's 92, 93 at rest, mm -hmm. you get them up and walk them, they drop to 85, they're very short of breath. Mm -hmm. You put them on oxygen, get them up above 90, and they say, hey, I'm less short of breath when yeah. I walk. They should be on oxygen. Mm -hmm. What I'm most frustrated by is I'll have a patient whose room air sat's 91, they've got end-stage disease or cancer, and they're short of breath, and we put them on oxygen and, they, and it helps them. 
well, Medicare doesn't want to pay for oxygen unless the SAT's less than 89% based right. on those studies, but that's not proper. That's you know, not the it's, patient that was Right, it's helping in, right? the patient. So yeah. again, it, the, the best data is for that person sitting, mm -hmm. resting less than 89%. Mm -hmm. Oxygen reduces mortality and improves their quality of life. Yeah. Good. And when it comes to oxygen sensing in COVID, um, because that's something that we're doing, you know, if people are high risk, but they're well when we see them at first, it might be a prudent thing to do to have them use an oximeter at home. What would be signs that you would say, eh, you should come back to the hospital? Yeah, so the data, so, so again, the patients who do the most poorly mm -hmm. are the ones who get pneumonia mm -hmm. and potentially ARDS. Right. And that's best detected by their symptom shortness of breath, right? The majority of COVID patients really have minimal symptoms. Right. But if you get COVID and now you develop shortness of breath, and it's usually about four or five days into the illness, you're mm -hmm. doing okay, and then all of a sudden, day four or five, I can't get my air. If you can check your oxygen satin, it's better than 94%. Now, this is if you have normally right. healthy lungs, you're probably okay. But mm -hmm. if that's dropping below 94 when you're resting, then that's a worrisome sign. Right. And that's when treatment with oxygen right. is likely to be beneficial. So. You know, we can't treat it with anything else really in the hospital. Yeah. So we set you up at home with mm -hmm. some oxygen if we can mm -hmm. and keep that SAT above 94%. Now, if you're chronic lung disease, um, you might want to come in the hospital anyways. Right. I mean, we're going to monitor you closely, but if your mm -hmm. SATs are dropping, um, you know, into the high 80s, mm -hmm. probably need to come in at that point. Yeah. And honestly, if I'm taking a phone call and can't see someone face to face and they're telling me they're short of breath or they feel like they have to work harder to breathe, even if their oxygen saturation is 94%, I would mm -hmm. prefer that patient to be seen in person. Yeah, bring them in and assess them. If they appear to kipnic, mm -hmm. um, breathing fast, yeah. um, then they're, they're headed in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And we know those patients who are hospitalized and require oxygen, that steroids mm -hmm. might, are likely in some of them to yeah. be beneficial. Right, right. And that's the only treatment that we know for sure. Yeah, and so I think a lot of folks, treatment at home, a lot of people will feel fatigued and those vague symptoms maybe for days and weeks after their diagnosis. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to be reevaluated in person. It's going to take some patience. But if you're short of breath, then That's you might want to call in. Yeah. Yep, short of breath is a problem. Cough is, is very persistent after this COVID. So mm -hmm. I've had patients who recover everything else, but they're still coughing for right. weeks. And there's nothing we can do. It right. just takes time. Yeah, good. What's the most common treatment for cystic fibrosis and how does COVID affect patients with CF? So again, cystic fibrosis is an inherited condition where the um, mucus isn't cleared from the lungs because of a chloride channel deficiency. Mm -hmm. And so um, the mucus builds up and causes damage to the airway. Uh, any chronic lung disease is going to increase complications mm -hmm. from any infection right. of the lungs. COVID doesn't seem to be you know, worse for cystic fibrosis than influenza mm -hmm. or, or other. In fact, influenza is worse because younger people do more poorly with influenza than they do COVID. And so the, the key treatment for cystic fibrosis is early recognition of the condition and referral yeah. to a specialist who takes care of cystic fibrosis. Yeah. So watch for that signs of you know salt on the mm -hmm. pillow and, and the things that signal a problem with mm -hmm. the chloride channel and family history. Mm -hmm. You know, if there was a bunch of people in their 30s and 40s who had chronic bronchitis or died of yeah. respiratory problems, then you gotta think about that in your offspring. Yeah. So recognize it early, get to a specialist. Yeah.
Good. All right, one last question. Are there things I can drink to cleanse my lungs, like honey and hot water, et cetera? <laughs> so that won't cleanse your lungs. Right. Um, nothing's gonna cleanse your lungs. Um, and, you know, there's some of this stuff advertised, air and some of those things, and they won't cleanse your lungs. Mm -hmm. Now, honey and hot water, honey and tea, cough, great right? for cough. Yeah. As mm -hmm. good as any over-the-counter mm -hmm. remedy. You know, Vicks on your chest or on the bottom, sure. you know, I, I just, so, you know, patients who come in and want something for their cough, I tell them I really don't have anything better than the lozenge you use at home unless you have asthma or something right. else, scared, heartburn causing right. your cough. So it's not gonna cleanse your lungs, but it might help with your cough. Yeah, yeah, good. And now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Dot Quiz question. Smoking is a causative factor in all of the following problems except A, lung cancer, B, COPD or emphysema, C, asthma, or D, heart attack and stroke. The answer is C. While asthma may be adversely affected by smoking, it isn't caused by it. The winner of tonight's quiz is Nick Hess from Lake Hendricks, Minnesota. Thank you, Nick, for participating. A book will in be in the mail to you soon. We'll be right back after this. Extra, extra, read the Prairie Doc Perspectives weekly column in your local newspaper. More than 130 newspapers in the region print the newspaper column written by the Prairie Docs, covering a variety of medical and health-related topics. Ask your local paper if they print Prairie Doc Perspectives. As a primary care physician, I commonly encounter patients who smoke cigarettes. Most people, including those who smoke, are aware of the long-term health risks posed by smoking. Of course, as a physician who cares about their current and future health, I want these patients to embrace the goal of smoking cessation. As someone who has never been a smoker myself, I admit I cannot fully understand the struggle of this task. However, the data suggests that quitting smoking can be extremely difficult. I find it helpful to understand some basic psychology when it comes to smoking cessation. In the 1970s, a duo of scientists named Prochaska and De Clemente, after studying subjects who smoked and their likelihood of successfully quitting, developed the transtheoretical model of stages of change. This model is widely used today to assess readiness for change when it comes to smoking and other lifestyle changes such as diet, exercise, alcohol, and other substance use. The following explains each stage and how we can apply them to help with smoking cessation. Pre-contemplative phase. A person has no intention of changing their behavior soon. In this case, I plant the seed by providing some basic education and encouraging the patient to think about it before the next visit. Pushing or forcing change at this stage is not likely to be fruitful. Contemplative phase. A person is thinking about making a change, perhaps in the next six months, but they may not be ready for a definitive plan. I offer specific education about quitting and ensure follow-up to help with planning when they are ready. Preparation phase. A person is ready to implement change in the next 30 days. Time to cheer on my patient and set them up for success. We might set a quit date together, consider referral to the quit line, and discuss more specific strategies, including medication or nicotine replacement. 
action phase. This is the first six months of the big change, during which patients have a high risk of relapse. It is crucial to check in often with me, their quitline counselor, and their other support people. Maintenance phase. After the action phase, risk of relapse decreases but does not go away. I offer my patients a safe place to discuss their urge to smoke and encourage them to stay tobacco free. If they do slip up, I remind them not to give up. I help them focus on the hard work they've already done and stay successful. Quitting smoking can be difficult, but it is truly one of the best things a person can do for their long-term health. There is support out there, starting with your primary care provider. When you are ready, ask for help. Thanks so much, Dr. Pietala, for volunteering your time to answer questions about lung health. The flu is a common cause of pneumonia, so now is a perfect time to protect yourself by getting a flu shot. And if you're 65 or older, you should get vaccinated against pneumococcal pneumonia, a common form of bacterial pneumonia. If you would like more information about this program or to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. That does it for tonight. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. medical question. It is Ask Anything. Next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. So, Mom, it's 20 years ago now that you and Dad uh, started this idea of uh, evidence-based medical shows for free for everyone. Does that sound right? That's right. And it was really great that you and, and your dad were able to create that theme music for us. Yeah, that was really cool. Making music with dad, one of the best things. You know, I, as long as I can remember, you and dad were pouring your energy and your heart and your soul into, into the Prairie Dock and into the Healing Words Foundation. And I'm just really proud of you. It's great to have people of your generation, like our new Prairie Docks, to uh, give us your ideas and to help continue dad's legacy. It's our turn to uh, turn to the people out there and say, we need your help. <laughs> you can support us too. Uh, we do this without advertisements from pharmaceutical companies and we need independent support. So go to peridoc.org and make a donation today. And uh, if you don't have money for that, 
keep coming to see our show. We need your support in other ways. Thanks. Thanks. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dock has been provided by. Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Dock on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Dock as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, Fishback Financial Corporation, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.